At the T-minus three-minute mark, tape recorders on board the spacecraft were turned on. These recorders record both voice and data. This is WOMMLP operating out of Burlington, Vermont, 105.9 The Radiator. It is a rocket shop once again. I'm your host, Tom Proxer. And with me tonight is Eric George. Hello. Hello. Nice to be here. Well, nice to have you. Yeah. Um, we always like to get started with the song. So sure. would oh. you like to introduce it? Maybe say a little bit about it and uh, take it away. Sure, yeah. Um, well, I like this. I, you know, I wish my friend Meg Rice, she plays in the band Julie Cesar. She's a good friend of mine. And... Uh, she sings beautiful harmonies on the song, so I have to pretend. It's one of these <laughs> tunes that I wrote, but I, and I didn't know what it was about when I wrote it, and I'm still figuring it out. It's you know some songs sort of uh, reveal themselves to you as you keep playing them, mm. and this is one of them. It's called "Wake You Up with Light." Julia and Mary, Lucinda and Louise They all danced on the limbs of the old white oak tree And me like the breeze, blowing wild and free Blowing wild and free This New England rain makes rivers out of streams And I hear you wading in the water after me I said, honey, it's almost autumn How can you still be green? How can you still be green? In some other season I'll say it all just right Way the setting sun lets you know it's almost night Or maybe I'll be the morning and wake you up with light And wake you up with light You know, thanks for saying that's my favorite ending to any song I've ever made. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it came by accident. And <laughs> it, it, yeah, it feels the sort expected, but it's like having uh, the last mouthful of a really nice cake that you could eat all over again. You <laughs> exactly. know, a favorite bite at the very yeah, end. Yeah, just like I could eat more, but I shouldn't. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I wanted to keep going, but it really shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, uh, it leaves you completely satisfied. Yeah, it's, it's well, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, you were saying just before uh, you played that wonderful song, "Wake Up with Light." by the way, by Eric George. 
Um, the the meaning of the song transitioned for you uh, over, mm. I don't know, months, years. Um, what did it start out as uh, in terms of when you were writing it, what were you writing about, and what's it turning to now? Well, I mean, that's it's hard to say. I, th- I mean, some songs I'll sit down and I, I sit down knowing what the song's going to be about. Uh, but sometimes it's just, I mean, it's just, it all happened at once. And so when it comes that fast, it's hard to process it in the moment. Mm-hmm. So that that particular song, I think, I don't think it had a meaning to start out with. It was just a lot of words that were just supposed to be connected. Um and uh, I mean, I guess it means all kind of different things now, but <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, well, in terms of records, um, that one wasn't from your latest one um, because the latest one has very much a different style. Yeah. Uh, that came out in November last year called Song of Love. Song of Love. I, so <laughs> I put it on Bandcamp and set it to private. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, ha- I kind of have this fear like of uh, if... Everything. If I if my house burns down and all, you know my all the music on my hard drive gets burned up, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna put it on the internet. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I put that one up there, but it was officially released about a month ago. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Congratulations oh, for thanks. releasing it a month ago. <laughs> uh, shows you how well I've been doing my research. No, no, it's, <laughs> you you had it right, uh, technically speaking, on the internet. <laughs> um, but that that record uh, very much punk, really, sure. um, uh, which is a major departure from what kind of your bread and butter, you know, honky-tonk, you got your Bob Dylan-esque folk, which you just displayed there in your last song. Um, what what brought about this kind of step to, I know, the more radical left, if you will? I think, well, it's, to me, almost just a step back mm-hmm. to sort of my roots. I mean, so many folk singers and country singers that I've spoken to over the past, you know, few years, I, I it keeps being revealed to me that uh, every, we all grew up playing punk music, mm. and I mean that was my first band. I was playing drums in a punk band, and um, that that's sort of where like where my roots are. And the more I think about it, and the more I talk about it with people, the more I realize that the line between folk music and country music and punk music are those lines are blurry i mean they're essentially saying the same thing they're questioning authority and they're um and they're talking about things that are important in you know topically and in the moment um so it you know i mean it was fun for me to do that too because my all my other records you know it sort of sounds more you know acoustic folk mm. stuff like that and it was just fun to just sort of throw that out into the world like that but um, yeah, at the end of the day, I, d- I don't, it doesn't feel that much different than any, than anything else I've made. I think it just sonically uh, leans into sort of those roots a little bit more. Mm. So you're, you're essentially saying the message doesn't really change. It's kind of just the delivery of the message. Yeah, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with, with this kind of, uh, this move towards more, more of a punk kind of band, uh, more of a punk kind of sound, does that come with that uh, in your live settings? Do you start bringing more people with you to play? Do you do you do you deliver that kind of same sound on stage, or or is this kind of only on a record? And now you're going to go back to the kind of bluesy. You know, you've got? <laughs> I w- I wish I could keep doing it. 
it was, you know, it's hard on my voice doing uh, that, screaming. Yeah. I don't know how people who are in, you know, punk bands, how they go from screaming to singing night after night. I couldn't do it. Uh, so I, I would love to have a singer in the punk band that I played with at the album release. We just had, like, an absolute blast playing these songs. Mm -hmm. But I, I can't keep doing it. <laughs> I wish. I've, uh, I've talked to a few uh, like screamo bands, <clears throat> and uh, they always tell me that it's like it's training that you can do in order to, mm. to keep your vocal cords warm, and it's all about you know wrapping your throat, throat in warm towels and yeah. drinking lots of warm honey. It sounds a lot of effort. I definitely do. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't tell if, it, if they just lean into the sort of vocal chaos mm. of like, this is, I'm just going to sound like this for the rest of my life. <laughs> but it's hard, you know, it's like I couldn't imagine going from playing a punk show and then the next day I have, you know, some acoustic gig somewhere and I just I think it's, do it. you really got to make a choice of one or the other. I mean, <laughs> I, I either smoke a hundred cigarettes a day and drink a bottle of Jack every night and it does come naturally on stage or uh, right, save, save your voice and be able to talk in 40 years time. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, well, we'd love to hear another song. Um, if you'd like to introduce it again and uh, tell us where, what, which <clears throat> album is this one from. Oh, okay. So that, by the way, that last one is not on any album. Um, I like, I mean, playing any new stuff I'm writing and working on. It's just more exciting to me to play mm. it. So I'm going to do something I don't usually do especially I, this is like on the radio and that mm. kind of thing but i'll just do it anyway it's a brand new song oh wonderful um and uh here let's i got the words in front of me I oh, it's, it's that new it's, it's uh, oh i wrote it uh not not last night the night before you, you know i really like the fact that it, it looks to me that you've uh, you've typed this out on a typewriter a lot of people <laughs> these days I mean, fair credit to them. Uh, we'll bring their phone on stage if they're they're singing a new song live um, and read off their phone. But there's there's something quite magical about seeing a hand typed letter yeah. to yourself. <laughs> I as, agree. As your lyrics. I I, uh, I have read off my phone one time. I was doing a poetry reading and I didn't have my book of poems with me, and I had to read off a phone, and I just really didn't. I didn't like it at yeah. all. But uh, yeah, I did type this on a typewriter. I have I I love typewriters and. This, as a side note, this particular typewriter was the Ernest Hemingway's favorite model of typewriter, mm. and I managed to procure one for very cheap and fixed it up, and uh, and so for some reason that feels even more special to me. <laughs> I think that suits your uh, songs and personality down to the ground. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I wrote this one about uh, about social awkwardness and you know so many people i know are just and including myself go through phases of just being completely unable to communicate with people in the world whether it's at the coffee shop or whatever so i wrote this song uh yeah a couple nights ago for for all those folks and myself included so uh i think it's called let's see the words are here somewhere i think it's called uh as cool as the moon it goes like this uh I guess it's sonically already pretty similar to the last song, but... <laughs> There's people all around you, the questions feel untrue. Hey, how's your day? What's new with you? Feeling like a crossword 
trying to find the right word Give me another try I'll find it this time And if I don't I won't Be as cool as the moon But I'll sing this little tune The expectation holds you The interaction folds you You're trying to feel at home in your body and your soul And then somebody needs you But it's solitude that feeds you So you do your best to feel And give them something real But if you don't You won't Be as cool as the moon But you can sing this little tune You don't have to be as cool as the moon As cool as the moon all the time You don't have to be as cool as the moon As cool as the moon all the time You don't have to be as cool as the moon As cool as the moon all the time You don't have to be as cool as the moon As cool as the moon As cool as the moon all the time Cause the moon there by Eric George. I feel like that would be uh, completely in place in any kind of Pixar movie. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, I could see that. So, so Randy Newman special right there. I got to start thinking like that. <laughs> Today, I wouldn't be so broke all the time. <laughs> you should give him a call. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, you are absolutely prolific. You've had six records in four years. Oh, four years. Okay, great. That's, I didn't know that. Stati- I love that. That's cool. <laughs> I, I love that you haven't, haven't counted that up yourself. Included also a book of poetry in that. Um, and that is, that's involved different styles, different genres. So what for you is, is keeping this creative, the creative fires going? Because e- even tonight you're coming in with, with, with new songs. It seems like there's no kind of end to the, the amount of songwriting that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, how, how, do you, how does this keep going? Where are you finding creativity all the time? Uh, well, I mean, the, the word, my favorite word, not to put a hierarchy on it, but my favorite word is practice. And I just love being in practice with, um, with writing, but also, I mean, in the past few years the um the practice and the process of recording has been an absolute joy to me. I this is actually the first song I've written in several months and uh it's because I've at at a certain point sort of reframed uh you know for so long I was I guess not obsessed but uh constantly writing songs and having that uh be the the criteria for sort of a, successful creativity and I've sort of reframed it and 
ways that I, I now think that, okay, I, I have other things to practice, like, you know, sound engineering and mixing and sort of all the other aspects of, you know, music recording and that kind of thing. And, um, and I guess there's a word I'm looking at, it's on the tip of my tongue, it's similar to the word uh, method, um, but having a, um, I, I know what the process looks like from start to finish, like very intimately and so I think it the more that I've you know the more albums I make or you know the more songs I write uh, I have a pretty good idea now of of sort of what the process uh, looks like from start to finish which makes everything easier I remember when I made my first album everything was so um, I felt so in the dark because I didn't know what the end was gonna I didn't know all the steps involved and so it made it difficult to to you know take each step of that process but now that i know the process it mm. it just is easy and it um i mean i don't and i don't know what else i'd do if <laughs> <laughs> i don't know you know if i weren't writing songs and making albums i i don't i don't know what else i'd be doing just sitting on the couch with my dog that doesn't sound so bad either that that sounds <laughs> I, why i do that too <laughs> Um, I've I've often uh, heard described creating an album for for musicians as a bit like having a child. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, all you know, <laughs> the albums you've got, which ones are ready to step child, and uh, you know which ones are black sheep, uh, and which one maybe is a golden child out of the ones you've created. That's a, I lo- I love that question, and it's it's sort of sad. Because I think about like my neglected children, <laughs> you know, like just like all right, this album's done, and I, I sort of, you know, during the process, I'm, you know, it's swaddled and I'm taking it into the woods every day and holding it sweetly, and then after it's done, I'm on to the next one. <laughs> it's like, sorry, buddy, leave it to fend for itself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, but I, I, I like them all for what they are, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they've all, you know, I guess it comes back to the word practice. I, all, I see them all as, you know, evidence of practice um, at different points. So sometimes I'll go back and listen and say, oh, my God, like I could have done a way better job doing that or doing this. But it, it doesn't matter. I'll do it better on the next one and the mm-hmm. next one, that kind of thing. Do you, do you ever go back to, to old songs, especially from way back in the day? Do you ever go back and either steal elements from them or, or rip them off wholesale and just recreate them entirely new? Uh, so it's funny you say that. I The album I'm working on right now, which I'm waiting, uh, I'm just putting final touches on, doing harmonies. Cat uh, um, Wright is going to sing a song with me on it, and um, Meg Rice and... Uh, a bunch of pals are going to be singing on it and doing harmonies and stuff like that. But they're all songs that I wrote when I was in college, and some even go back to high school. Um, so they they go way back. And my thought was that if I don't record them, they're they're going to die forever, and I need mm-hmm. to just you know get them get them into the world. Um, but I find it very difficult to try to rewrite. You're, you know, to borrow something from a song, it's like whatever whatever was in that song, it's just glued to that song, and it's, you know, mm. very hard to unglue words 
you know, from from one melody or from one song and, you know, put paste them onto another song, I find that very difficult. It's like a kidnapper chopping up a newspaper. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> a ransom, a musical ransom note. Yeah. Um, so it, it, is it everything that you write then completely new, completely fresh? Uh, is it, I mean, you write a lot about, uh, you've got very much a socially conscious streak, for instance. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself going back to the same topics or do you really find yourself really picking uh, every single element of life? Uh, I think I'd, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to be practicing more of picking every element of life. Um, I, what I've, been on a total John Prine kick lately and mm. he has such an amazing way of writing and same for Tom Waits too uh, but just writing about uh, sort of all elements of life and from the sort of banal and the and the sort of mundane and um, the poet Billy Collins talks about this a lot of, of talking about um, taking the ordinary and the ability to take something ordinary and to make it as beautiful as possible, I think is a really important practice. So I, I think, you know, the album that I'm working on now, a lot of the songs are, uh, in, in their topic, they're very expansive and they're sort of very, um, a lot of it, you know, sort of sounds like Pink Floyd or something like that. And the content is very, um, they're large and ambiguous. And I, I really like the idea of being in practice about, uh, you know, focusing on just what's absolutely right in front of me. Mm. And that, well, that's where I'm at in this moment, you know? <laughs> um, and this new record you got coming out, I mean, uh, you've released one a month ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this due to come out spring, summer, fall? You... I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, good, good. Yeah. Um, has it got a name yet? Do we get to hear that? Does it, uh, Yeah, it's called Where I Start. Where I Start. Yeah, that's the title, I guess, the title track of the album. Right. Yeah. Um, and has that also been, uh, is that another genre kind of you're pushing into again? As you said, it's kind of got Pink Floyd elements on it. Yep. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, I, psychedelic's not the right word, but um, a, a groovy might be the right word. It's mm. definitely got a lot of grooves in it. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, so... I after I, you know, played a lot of punk music when I was in high school. My my high school band. After that, we we did a ton of Pink Floyd covers, and you know, we mm. did a lot of like psychedelic blues rock and stuff like that. And it was definitely the some of the most fun I've ever had playing music in my life. So it's sort of going back to those roots a little bit. All right. Mm-hmm. Um. So it really does seem that well, the Seven Days, for instance, didn't mention on the review of Song of Love. Uh, that it was your quote-unquote Bob Dylan moment going electric. Oh, that's funny. Um, is, is that something you'd agree with? Was that kind of a, I know, a watershed mark for you, your last record? And from now on, it's it's going to be sticking guitar into an amp and getting a band together when you record? Oh, no, definitely not. Yeah, I mean, I, I love I love that, though. Yeah, I remember reading that, and I just thought, I was like, all right, cool. You know, that's, <laughs> like a, that's sort of what I wanted it to be. The album cover is... Uh, you might not be able to tell what it is from the picture, but it's a Polaroid of me throwing a pie at the camera. And I just like the idea of the sort of just like the pie in the face of like, you know, I, a lot of the, you know, um, things that are written about my music and that kind of thing, which I'm grateful for every word that's written of it. Um, but, the, you know, it's I, I was sort of feeling a little bit... Uh, 
pigeonholed or something mm. like that. Of like, wait, I do a lot more than you know. <laughs> and I think even like my folk songs like have a lot more elements than sort of like a Bob Dylan mm. kind of thing. Um, like I don't know if um, you know he usually sticks to a few chords, and I I'm sort of just going all over, <laughs> going all over the place. Um, but I yeah, I think that you know my I. One of my intentions, you know, after this um, record of old songs that I'm sort of revitalizing and breathing life into, I, I've been really wanting to make a, an album of roots music. Um, you know, some of my favorite country songs and some of my favorite folk tunes um, just use a Tascam 4 track and sit in a room and just mm. record them. Because, um, yeah, there's so many songs that aren't necessarily popular folk and country songs but I just they're gems to me you know mm. and I I love doing that doing that digging and finding all the sort of you know the great obscure old folk songs mm. so would it, would it be an album of covers or would it just be co- uh, inspired by oh no songs? it's definitely yeah I mean it's it's funny when talking about American folk music calling them covers it mm. feels like a strong word for um mm. you know what I'm you know yeah, what I'm saying it yeah. feels like a strong word for something that belo- it does belong to all of us right. and it is in my body and I'll sing it as my own song, just like mm. everybody's saying it in their own way. Right, I, I did a lot of those old classic, uh, old school country songs and, and folk songs that were songs for decades before mm. anyone actually got any recording studio. That's even, right. Uh, you know, recording equipment even. So yeah, I suppose they're not really covers, they kind of more belong to the common. Yeah, I wonder when the word cover even came along. I mean, I wonder if that word sort of came about in the sort of corporatizing of music Mm. and sort of the calling it that. I mean, I'm sure that must have come along, you know, in the 50s or something like that. Right. did a cover of a song. Well, intellectual property rights does. Yeah, exactly. Coming into the fore. If anybody knows about that, (laughs) message me. Call call in to our non-existent phone line. (laughs) Non-existent hotline. (laughs) Um, oh, phones are going off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'd love to hear another song. Um, so, yeah, just uh, let us know a little bit about this one. And, sure. Um, take it away. Let's see. What should we do here? Well. Sorry. Well, I'll play, the, uh, play a song that's off the album... Maybe two albums, not about nightingales is the name of it. And I uh, wrote it after a friend told me about the author and poet Richard Brodigan. Um, and I just fell in love with his writing. And in, I think it's in Revenge of the Lawn, is his book. Uh, there's one called I Was Trying to Describe You to Someone. And in it, he starts out by saying, The other day I was trying to describe you to someone but I couldn't do it. And then he goes on to talk about uh, rural electrification during FDR's New Deal and electricity going through the power lines that had just been erected across the West and people being able to hear President Roosevelt's voice on the radio for the first time. And, And he said sort of all that, all that electricity going through those lines and getting to hear President Roosevelt's voice on the radio, that is how you look to me. And I just loved that. And so um, as a writing prompt, my, my dear friend Madeline, who introduced me to him, uh, 
she she told me that she used that as a writing prompt sometimes, so I figured I'd try to write a song like that. And so it's called, I Was Trying to Describe You to Someone. <laughs> goes like this. describe you Oh, I looked at the mountain doubting that those shades of blue could define you To describe you Oh, I dug through the tomb but all the riches in that room live inside you And I could say you look like sweet Liza Jane And I could say you look like Barbriel For your face is timelessness Traced onto times of no telling Just a little bit of honey Sweet corn rattling in the sun Steeping leaves and Butter for the bread she made The lake speaks of endless waves And the feeling it brings when there's a bird that hears another singing That listens on to the song that glistens on And makes the distant hills ring It makes the hills ring When the spring brings the rain that slips through my fingers but I hold out my hands and he wait And up above me the morning dove's done grieving Just to listen to the blue jay Oh, that is how you look to me That is how you look to me I was trying to describe you to someone by Eric George there. And uh, who who was it you were trying to describe? Um, <laughs> uh, that's an interesting question. I, sometimes when I write songs about people I love, um, it's a sort of like amalgamation of all the qualities. So it's about a person, but it's also about, I guess, the idea of the person. Um, so I yeah I dedicate it to my song to my friend Madeline who introduced mm. me to Richard Brodigan right. but I guess it's about an idea or something like that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, kind of like riffing off um, 
what you created uh, today for, to to write down your lyrics. You know, you you've you've got that typewriter and. Uh, you, obviously you use it relatively often um because with your other records you've 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 with coming with these records when you buy them you get books of lyrics that have been hand stitched which i'm assuming you typed out as well um and i think the last album came with a photo book mm-hmm. so um what what are you story are you trying to bring what additional story story are you trying to bring with these add-ons to these records well Partly, uh, I mean, I, I, I love vinyl records, mm. um, and I, you know, one of my favorite, I remember growing up, the first record I ever got was The Doors Waiting for the Sun, and inside it you open it up and there's this big picture of a lizard, and then there's all, you know, there's all these sort of, sort of cool things about um, having a physical copy of an album, and I... Um, you know, I made one, my first album, I pressed on vinyl, and it was just this big financial disaster. And so <laughs> it's just so much money to do records and that kind of thing. But um, I really like the idea of having a sort of tangible tangible evidence of of work and practice. Um, and so sort of, you know, all the, all the books that I make, um, you know, I make those all my, with the help from my friends, we, you mm. know, I get together and we have these big book sewing parties and mm. Uh, so I, I think part of it is just having, you know, for, for this last album, it's just a digital download code in the back because mm. you can see even CDs are pretty expensive. And, um, so being able to, to share with somebody a physical copy of something that you mm-hmm. worked on, I think is really important. It's, uh, it's, it's nice that you, uh. You give that little extra offering, especially if something is digital, because you know not having that thing mm-hmm. you can grasp onto makes you sometimes forget that you've got those things still in your possession. Like uh, having, I mean, like when you listen to a record on Spotify, do you ever feel that you you have that record, even though it's just as much to hand as any other <laughs> vinyl? It doesn't really feel the same. I don't feel like I bought it in the same way I bought, you know, my CDs when I was fifteen or sixteen. Right, right, totally. I I do have. Uh, I was thinking about this just the other day. Uh, the Minor Threat discography. They're one of my favorite bands, and I've had the same MP3. You know, I, I bought it once. I bought a CD probably at Newbury Comics when I was like thirteen or something like that, and loaded it onto my computer and I've never loaded it onto a computer since mm. but those same mp3s are still on my computer and they're on my iPod and it's sort of the only the only digital thing that I feel like I have possession of mm. I'm like yeah these are the same mp3s that I listened to <laughs> when I was 13 you know <laughs> same ones and zeros that exactly exactly <laughs> Preserved all these years. Yes, yeah. It was, you know, it just struck me just the other day thinking about that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's very interesting to think of, especially, I, I suppose you're probably around the same age as me. Where, where, I mean, I don't know about yourself, but I definitely grew up in a, as a young child, grew up in like a non-digital age mm. and that can kind of transitioned into the digital age. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, thinking about those kind of early days where there was, uh, it was a lot more of a, a blurred line between the two, mm-hmm. you know, CDs yes. that you doubt uploaded onto your computer, which you spent hours putting onto iPods, and then burning it on as CDs yes. for friends. Right. Yeah, that's interesting to think about. Um, 
So yeah, it's interesting to think of the relics of the kind of those early days of the digital revolution, if you will, and mm-hmm. when, when those physical things kind of started turning digital. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel grateful that I got to catch the tail end of that. Right. You know, same thing for recording music. The first songs I ever recorded were on this, I still have it, this Tascam 4 track that I dearly, dearly love. And I'm very grateful that I learned how to record music on an, on a piece of analog technology as opposed to a digital one. Mm. Um, I think there's so many benefits of having a you know, a, a physical thing that you're interacting with. Um, and I feel the same way about, you know, buying music and mm-hmm. having CDs as opposed to, you know, Spotify. I don't have Spotify. I wish I did, but <laughs> <laughs> make life easier. It, it does come in useful, if we're going to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Saves me a lot of money. Yes. Um, well, um, yeah, t- talking... Um, um, I completely lost the question there. <laughs> in which case, we'll go to a different area. Uh, you play live a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this month alone, I think you're playing six six different gigs um, in in, this, in March, um, and that's not exactly uh, unusual for you. Mm-hmm. And it, when you're not playing official gigs, I often see you down on Church Street and you're you're busking. Um, what is it about playing live for you that is uh, so addictive? I'm assuming. And how <laughs> does it feel different? Um, what do you learn playing live that you don't? learn playing in your room writing songs for yourself well i mean these (laughs) these days uh playing live is a necessity financially Mm -hmm. i play music full-time and um even i mean it's you know in my mind it's like okay i'm going to work you know i'm just going to play this gig and that's my job Mm -hmm. um so it's definitely transitioned a lot from you know even you know five or six years ago, something like that. Of like, I'm going to go play live and, you know, play all these songs and it's going to maybe change somebody's life. And now it's just like, okay, I'm going to go and do the best I can in that moment. And, um, it depends, you know, it definitely depends on the gig too. I, you know, if I'm, if I'm playing at a loud bar or something like that, which I don't do that much anymore. Um, you know, I'm going to play a lot of covers. It, I think, energetically it's very exhausting to play my own songs and have them not necessarily be received Mm -hmm. um if i'm in a situation where people are listening i'm gonna play all original music Mm and um so i think that's one of the rewarding things to me about playing live is sort of to have a, a reciprocation of the energy that I put into writing a song and the energy that came through me when I was writing a song and have that be given back to me through the audience mm-hmm. um, and through the people who are listening. Um, but, yeah, a lot of the time it's not like that, um, which is, you know, that's just the way it goes. Um, but I I play a lot. Also, you know, if you look on my website or whatever, you know, on the Bands in Town page, it's like I have these gigs, but I also... Um, play for the elderly a lot um, mm-hmm. and do a lot of assisted living places and that kind of thing and those are some I leave some of those places sometimes and I'm like that was the best I've ever played you know <laughs> and they're some of the most rewarding gigs and um, because I you know in those I play a lot of songs that those folks grew up mm. on and um, you know they'll sing along and that kind of thing and so they're those are incredibly rewarding live music experiences mm. for me um, 
I think that's the most punk you can be as well. Assisted living facilities. It is punk. <laughs> Thank you. I feel, I feel like it is punk rock. It's, it's, <laughs> it's an easy thing to play at a bar, you know. Try yes. If you, if you make the uh, if you make the the folks at Sunset Down scream, then you you know you've made it. That's that's exactly right. <laughs> They're the hardest audience to play to. Yeah, it's All true, the- and and it's good practice in. Uh, not necessarily paying attention to the response of the audience because mm. a lot of the, I mean, you're not going to get a big loud cheer at the end of a song, but you just have to trust that you played the song well and that mm. they enjoyed it. Um, and that's carried over into, you know, some places you'll play and it's like people are drinking and talking and nobody claps and that's great. Mm-hmm. I, I would feel uncomfortable if people felt obligated to clap when mm. I, every time I was done with a song. So it's been good practice and just sort of shutting that you know, need for validation that a song was played well, shutting that off. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good practice. Um, and kind of talking about uh, you you putting your songs out into the world and hearing people connect with them, what song for you personally is the one you feel really most connects with, with your audience? And then which one, which song for you personally is, is, is the most personally important song for you? That's a that's a tough question. <laughs> um, well, let's see. A song that I think I I guess it depends on on sort of what emotional level or what aspect of people's experiences they're connecting with. You know, I, so the album I came out with last called Two Hands was songs of resistance, and so you know if I'm playing out somewhere and. I play a song I wrote called The Gentrification Rag about, you know, building up cities and gentrification. People very you know, people connect with that mm-hmm. and they, you know, enjoy that. Um you know, it it's like see sort of it's almost like comedy. It's like a a comic says something that you can relate to and people, you know, deeply enjoy knowing, Oh yeah, I've had that experience mm-hmm. too. So there's that aspect of connection and then there's I think a sort of maybe deeper emotional uh, connection that people have to certain, you know, more heartfelt songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to say because I don't, I don't really know what, what criteria mm-hmm. to, to sort of measure that, you know? Fair Sorry, that was an evasive answer. No, that was, <laughs> I, I, it's difficult to kind of pin down one song. Right? Yeah, thought. for sure. That was a, yeah, that was my way of saying I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> In a fantastic way, I can tell you're a writer. Um, <laughs> and is there any song that for you is most importantly, uh, most important, the the song that you connect most with? Mm. I think it's whatever song I've most recently written. <laughs> yeah, I think that's you know that, that's why I was excited to play that newer one mm. that I played because. I mean, I think it makes sense that whatever song is most recent is the one I'm most sort of connected to. Um, a song that, what, since I wrote, I've enjoyed playing every time. You know, there is a particular song that, um, it's called Beautiful Decay, and every time I play it, I, I always enjoy playing it, and I like connecting with people with that particular song. Mm. Um, if you want to hear it, I'd be glad to play oh, it. Oh, please. I wrote it after I went with some friends and saw John Prine play in Levon Helm's Barn. Hmm. Get this guitar in tune. And I was, uh, I was pretty, I was just totally blown away by the, the whole experience and his performance. And there it is, the 
culprit. Because, you know, he's, uh, he's been through cancer a couple times and um, is sort of physically, uh, you know, in, I guess you could say rough shape or something, but, um, but he's still, he's got so much energy and is, and is creating so many beautiful songs and um, it's just still so full of musical and energetic power, you know. Mm. And uh, it reminded me of, and this recording by Hank Williams Sr. that I heard uh, in which Hank, uh, it's a recording of a radio broadcast. He had to go on the radio and apologize to an audience because he couldn't make a show because he just had back surgery. And I, I listened to it one morning and I, I, was, I just totally broke down for some reason. It hit me so hard. And uh, and so when I saw John Prine, it was the same feeling, and um, I I feel like I've had this idea in my head for a while that the most we can do, in addition to resisting in very active ways um, through direct action and you know be, being part of the process of change, um, is to make the decay as beautiful as possible. Mm. And so that's what I wrote this song about, and and that you know sort of includes the decay of our environment. Um, and so many other things. So it's called Beautiful Decay. And my guitar's a little out of tune, but it's good enough. He sang his songs like he was 25. For more than 70 years, he's been alive. I stood in the crowd, in tears I cried. Next to a girl who was swinging her hips side to side Beautiful decay The body breaks down a little more each day Oh, life is like death's beautiful bride But the song lives on after the singer has died Hank was on the radio Apologizing for canceling the show His back was out and the doctor said no But he wished he could and he thought we should know And the sound of his voice broke my heart like his body and his soul were being torn apart Well that snake oil habit had him shining bright Like a falling star across a purple sky Beautiful decay The body breaks down a little more each day Oh, life is like death's beautiful bride But the song lives on after the singer has died
world is born and the world decays And I'm left wondering what to do and say I can sing for the midwife counting toes And on the casket of the world I can lay my rose Beautiful decay The body breaks down a little more each day Oh, life is like death's beautiful bride But the song lives on after the singer has died But the song lives on Beautiful decay there by Eric George. Um, so, so you, the way you were describing it before sounded a little bit nihilistic, uh, in the sense that you know everything's everything's dying ourselves, the earth, yeah. social norms. Uh, do do you come to your records with a kind of a with that kind of streak, uh, or are you do you feel like you're a little bit uh, I don't know more hopeful? Uh, I think I think they're probably two sides of the same coin mm. uh the i definitely wouldn't describe myself as a nihilist for sure mm-hmm. but i think that um uh, the sort of the acceptance and grief involved in what's going on in the world is uh fuel i guess for for sort of the the fire needed to to try to change things mm. um so i think that yeah I, I i guess all i could say is that they're they're probably they're very very closely related mm. and uh i mean you we've kind of talked earlier on tonight about this you've you've definitely got a socially conscious streak in in a lot of the lyrics of your songs especially your your last album was kind of a resistance album and that's not surprising it came out the year that <laughs> trump was inaugurated um what what is rock and roll or folk or punk's place in keeping people aware um that's i like that question uh I definitely know what it's... I've spent a lot of time thinking about not only what it does, but particularly what it doesn't do. Um, I think that it's easy for... It'd be easy for me to think that writing those songs is the extent of my participation in trying to change the world. I think that music and putting music out into the world and the music industry everything is so saturated that i let's let's be real that's not going to change anything uh however um all movements require songs and and sort of artistic interpretation in order to sort of contextualize um a lot of the discussions i think and so i think that music does a really good job of uh, sort of informing the um, emotions and the sort of deeper aspects of what a movement is trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a, a way of interpreting something much larger, which, you know, 
looks like direct action and looks like, um, you know, real, mm. real change, you know, in terms of policy and being, being in the way, mm. you know. Maybe the uh, the butterfly's wings that creates a tsunami around the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think that you know the the song itself is not going to be the mm. the but you know I'm not I I have no delusions about <laughs> you know I'm gonna write this song and it's gonna change everything you know it's <laughs> it you know that that is um, that's the overly hopeful optimistic mm -hmm. view and and a, and a very um, self important mm -hmm. and sort of self righteous. Uh, almost egotistical way of looking at the art that, mm -hmm. you know, one might make. Right. Um, well, um, we've not got too much time left, but I'd love to know, uh, well, first of all, I always like our artists to plug away as much as possible. Sure. Sell yourself. Uh, more than, um, you know, in terms of social medias and band camps and mm -hmm. whatnot. Uh, and also, where can we expect you to play uh, in the upcoming weeks and months? And finally, what what gig are you most looking forward to playing um, in for, for the summer and the rest of the year? Yeah. Well, um, I think the, the buy my albums. <laughs> <laughs> Go on Bandcamp and buy them. I will, if you live in the Burlington area, I'll hand deliver them to your door. <laughs> <laughs> it's a promise. <laughs> it is, yes. Um, yeah, I, 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 put a lot of work into like physically making all the albums so i really mm -hmm. love sharing those with people um and it's also i'm, I'm again I'm, i play music full-time so it's always nice to be able to sort of have that reciprocated in the, the capitalist way mm. um that we're all that we're all <laughs> a part of we'll have to be we all have to be yeah this is yeah i got rent to pay you know? <laughs> i got a dog to feed yeah right um but I'm I'm gonna be playing every Friday at Hotel Vermont in March this month, and that's honestly one of my favorite gigs in Burlington. It's such a good time. Uh, the the room itself sounds great, and there's a fireplace, and it, um, I just love everybody that works at that place. It's just a it's a good spot. Mm. Um, so every Friday from nine to eleven in March, um, and uh, yeah, I've been playing a lot with. Henry Finch and the Capacity Ensemble, which y'all would have a great time mm -hmm. at in in this room with them coming on. So um, keep an eye out for for Henry Finch's Capacity Ensemble. I'm playing electric guitar with those folks. And mm -hmm. That's a ton of fun. And uh, what was the what? There's another question. Uh, yeah, uh, the gig that you're most looking forward to this summer. Oh, the, well, this summer. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, beyond it, March. Any any time from from March thirty first <laughs> through to December thirty first. Well, I don't I don't know. Yeah, well, I, we got to cross that bridge when we come okay. to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then, you know, like my Instagram page and follow right. me on Facebook. I'll be put. You know, I, right. I'm I'm been staying on top of the the internet game. I promised myself twenty nineteen for me is the year of the internet. I'm gonna try to stay you, on top of finally getting in there. Right? Finally like, getting in the internet game of like, oh yeah, like if I have a show, I should probably tell people about <laughs> it. <laughs> getting there, you know. Um, well, it's been absolutely glorious having you in. Um, as uh, as you said, go out and buy Eric's records. Um, there's not too many people can do musician full time these days, so respect anyone that has a grit and fortitude, and obviously the skills to be able to do so. So, uh, um, massive thanks to you coming in this evening. Uh, good luck with everything. Um, go catch them, 
uh, Hotel Vermont or wherever. Uh, Church Street often has them busking on the sidelines. And uh, you also play the Honky Tonk Band as oh, well. Oh, that, and that's, oh, thank you for mentioning that. We're every Tuesday at the radio bean at the Honky Tonk. Uh, we're called Pony Hustle. And we play every Tuesday at the radio bean at 10 o'clock. Um, if you go there and we're not playing, don't be too sad there. Every once in a while, if I've got a recording gig or something like that, I'm, I'll be elsewhere. But most, almost every Tuesday, we're playing at the Radio Bean. All right. Tuesday night, 10 o'clock. Can't yeah. miss him. Um, if you've got a song you'd like to play us out with, that would be fantastic. Sure, yeah, that sounds great. I'll play this little song I wrote uh, up in Maine. I I guess I didn't mention any of this, but part of the one of the most exciting things to me right now about creating and making albums are putting limitations on everything. Like song, I love the punk record. I, you know, did a song like wrote a song a day and recorded a song a day for seven days, mm. and this is the first time I did that. So this is just a little excerpt from this. Um, I think it's my favorite thing I've ever made. It's a probably, a, I think it's 15 minutes, 15 minute long kids folk opera. Mm. Um, I don't know when I'm going to release it, hopefully <laughs> soon. It's like everything's done. I just, you know, want to do it right. Um, and so when I went up to Maine, I had these cards for kids that each card has a different piece of a story on it and you shuffle them and you can have 800,000 different stories, you know, based on mm -hmm. all the different combinations. And uh, so the seven cards I pulled for that day was about a, a bird and a mouse that were friends. And so each day I'd interpret the cards and make a song about it and record it. Um, so this is one of the songs. Yeah. There we go. Goes like this. Set the brown owl to the speckled bird You're friends with a mouse and it's absurd We don't understand you at all Set the foal in the hole to his friend the mole That little black mouse has lost her soul And we don't understand her at all But meanwhile the speckled bird and the black mouse sang Let our home be big enough for friends To come again and again Let our home be big enough for friends To come again and again <laughs> I love just it. Just a little excerpt. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming on once again. Um, thank and you. Yeah. When the next several albums come out, please come back again. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Thanks. Uh, well, next week we haven't got anyone, so if you are a musician or know a musician that would like to come in and uh, play on the radio, please give us a. Well, don't give us a call because we don't have a phone, but please give us an email. Um, uh, Bob at BigHeavyWorld.com, uh, our wonderful... 
producer Bob over there will be happy to uh, talk with you and get you in. Uh, so yeah, we are looking for our musicians next week. Please come on, um, and we'll uh, we'll listen to you play. Uh, otherwise, um, we'll be next on on April 10th when we got Miku Daza. But we do hope to uh, hear from you before then. So uh, catch us hopefully next week. It's been the Rocket Shop, and I've been Tom Proctor. Thanks. Bye.